teachers told my parents that that they had taken the wrong approach to her success in education and they needed to speak only English at home. So we converted from speaking all Chinese to speaking all English and um, and that concept of needing to fit in was very strong in their minds. So I think there is a set of Asian parents who wanted their kids to fit in and, um, and the kids were able to fit in. Like they were... I think there are stereotypes around Asians being hardworking and being, um, you know, being more complacent and more subservient that really played into this idea that they would be good employees. So that stereotype of being a smart, hardworking person has helped Asian men. I do hear from Asian men who feel like they hit a bamboo ceiling where they can't make it to CEO or they can't make it to the executive level. So there is still this... Um, bias that, that seems to prevent people from moving completely up the chain, but they do have a much better start than most other groups. Okay. So I want to get to Project Include, mm-hmm. which is what you're currently focused on. Um, I guess for the listeners to continue the journey, uh, Ellen left Kleiner Perkins. Um, you also stepped into a CEO role, which is extremely rare in the Valley um, at Reddit. And we can talk about what Project Include is, why is, why is this work so important to you, and what are you looking to accomplish? So Project Include started as a group of eight women who wanted to find better solutions to the diversity and inclusion issues in tech. So um, I had met you know, one-on-one with each of these women. Um, it's like, i got to look up the list to make sure I don't forget them. But, you know, Erica Joy Baker, who was at Google and is now at Slack, she created the Excel spreadsheet at Google, or maybe it was a Google Doc, a Google spreadsheet at Google that tracked um, anonymously people's salaries, their um, gender and race, and their um, level, and found discrepancies by race and gender. Um, Bethany McKinney Blunt, who was at Facebook, she has some, you know, a startup that got acquired there. She worked on a lot of the hard infrastructure problems and was my VP of engineering at Reddit, um, Tracy Chow, who was at uh, Pinterest and Quora. She created the GitHub repository for startups to share their diversity numbers. And that kind of started pushing the big companies to release their diversity statistics every year. Um, Laura Gomez, who was at YouTube and Twitter and started the company Atypica, where she's the female, uh, she's a Latina female founder who has raised the most money for a startup um, ever. And then Yvonne Hutchinson, who is a diversity advocate who has her own strategy and recruiting firm. Frida Kapoor Klein, you know, from the Kapoor Center Level Playing Field Institute, who's been this awesome, awesome diversity advocate for decades and has worked with companies, tech companies, investment banking companies, um, firms across the board. And then Susan Wu, who was at um, Medium and at Twitter and was a VC, was at Stripe most recently, who was, um, was a huge help for me in uh, advising me on communities at Reddit. So the eight of us were just trying to figure out how do we come up with better solutions? Because the stuff we we're seeing was like unconscious bias training, we're done. We did this hour and a half seminar and now we all feel great about it and we are ready to keep doing what we're doing before, but at least we feel good about it. So that idea of like these lasting solutions that 
you know, trying to help make it easier for people because I think a lot of it was that people didn't know what to do. So they latched onto these easy solutions that were being touted in the press and it made them look good and it made them feel good, but we were really wanted to help educate people on That is a powerful solutions. team. Who was the driver behind the idea and kind of the, the assembly of these, these folks? I think I ended up pulling everybody together, but the idea came from my first meeting with Erica Joy Baker. So we met at the Ferry Building and we were just like, oh God, like if I hear one more PR announcement about how somebody solves diversity problem, it's gonna, like, I'm just gonna quit tech altogether. And we said, well, what can we do? Like, we should just get together, get some women together, get some people together to talk through, like, what's a real solution? Because it's not, you know, it's not what people are doing today. So how do we push people to really do the work and solve these problems, and how do we make it easier for them? So because of that meeting with her, I ended up, you know, having, hosting a couple of dinners, and, you know, once we brought everybody on board, we started meeting every week, and we started um, just talking through, like, what are the real issues, what are the real things that we've seen and experienced or heard of that needs to be fixed and what are the things that people should be trying to do and how do we just change their their mental framework for thinking about inclusion. And we really believe strongly in three values. One is inclusiveness is for everyone. So a lot of programs are focused on gender and that's a little bit helpful, but you're still having an in-group and an out-group and that dynamic of changing your culture isn't happening. You're just adding a few more people to the in-group and it may not be that effective, or even if it is effective, you just got all these people that you're not treating fairly. Like, how does that feel good? Um, the second part is comprehensiveness. So it's not just about hiring a bunch of people in, it's about everything you do in your company and being very intentional to think about how does it make, uh, how do you make sure everybody participates and feels included and feels like they're part of the team and does their best work and shares their best ideas so that you get um, the best uh, company dynamic so you can get to the best financial performance. And then the third one is you, you have to measure it. Like you can't manage what you can't measure. And so if you're not looking at diversity and inclusion across your whole company, you're probably not finding problems early enough. You're probably doing some things that you could fix early on that and prevent bigger problems later. How do you engage in that work? So we started out just as a group of women and we decided we need to try to help make things easier for people and we created this website, projectinclude.org. And we launched it in May, we got great reception and people wanted more. And we're like, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a real plan for this. So, you know, we thought maybe we'd build more a community around it and have it become this open source effort. And it just got to the point where people wanted, you know, more information, they wanted to work together, they wanted to work with us. So we created a nonprofit. Um, we're a 501c3 corp uh, nonprofit, and what we actually ended up offering was two programs. So we started a small cohort of startup CEOs that we work with to help figure out, like, what are the things that are working, what are the things that are not working. We don't think we have the be-all, end-all set of recommendations. A lot of them have been around for a long time, and we've pulled them in. A lot of them are ideas that we've had. A lot of them are things that we've actually done and thought are great, but we don't think that, you know, this is, we want this to be a living dynamic set of. How important is this now um, for us to really understand and really unpack 
now the new power of kind of social media and the fact that we're getting our news from social feeds in terms of enabling your work? It's hard. We, you know, we're committed to bringing different voices to be heard and you've got a set of platforms that are not inclusive, right? And they're not um, set up for conversations. They're set up for echoing your view and amplifying it, but they're not set up for resolving different views. So you end up in these echo chambers, you end up with stronger and stronger ideas, and people have to send in more and more extreme information to get attention. Mm. So it's this combination of wanting attention, wanting people to feel good, right? Like it doesn't feel good when people are not liking your content and the ability to cordon off and control what you see. So that it's like a perfect storm of creating these strong emotions and these very disparate viewpoints that are very hard to bridge. And the thing that I've seen that's been scary in the last year is what we used to say was that you know people feel comfortable being anonymous and hidden behind the screens and they have to think about a real person behind that screen. But then you see people at these protests where they're you know out there saying racist things, sexist things in full view on camera, in person, not anonymous, it's moved out from behind the internet into the real world. And I don't know that technology can rein it back in. Mm -hmm. It was funny, I actually had dinner yesterday with a friend of mine and we actually had this debate on whether that's a good thing or not. So I don't know if you remember Kanye went on a rant recently. Did you hear about this? I heard about it. I didn't see the details, but yeah. He immediately went in to check in for mental, mental health afterwards but he basically said he supports Trump and one of the reasons why and I, I don't want to misquote him but was he's bringing out people's feelings that previously were hidden yeah. and so the question becomes if that's true is that a good thing or a bad thing because if people felt that way it basically determined their behaviors anyway so is it at least better to now know where people stand and is that the first step towards healing because at least you're having honest dialogue as a, as a foundation or maybe not even dialogue, but you have honesty as a uh, as a foundation as far as people being comfortable yeah. saying where they stand. I think we'll have to see what happens. But if it's, you know, if this first iteration of people screaming at each other and punching each other is any indication, I, I don't know how it gets much better from there, mm-hmm. right? If I think, you know, is it worth it when like school kids are being taunted and made to feel unwelcome to be able to have me have a conversation with a Trump supporter about race and gender mm. and you know understand each other a little better when like you've got a whole generation of school kids who are going to school with swastikas on the walls or people shouting you know was it like build the wall you know it's how, how much damage are you going to cause in the meantime I do think this election and the aftermath has been extremely educational for a set of people who had no idea that this was what people thought and this is how people treat other people. And there is a doubling down I've seen from some tech CEOs to 
make sure that their companies are diverse and inclusive. And that has been very inspiring for me. Um, I do think we see more examples of successful people, John Thompson, David Drummond, um, you know, Ursula Burns. Michael Seibel. Michael Seibel. So you're seeing people getting to that top level that we haven't seen in the past, and that's exciting. We're getting role models that will hopefully drive that next generation. Um, and we're starting to call attention to these issues so that when people experience it, it's not so much, is this me? Like, what can I do differently? Let me try to change again and try to morph into what it is that they want me to be. Um, and they can understand maybe it's just time for me to leave or maybe it's time for me to figure out what I can get out of this opportunity and focus on that. So there's, there's an awareness that I didn't have until you know maybe five or 10 years ago. And I'm seeing people like you know Tracy who... Uh, Tracy Chow, who is so much more aware than I was even five years ago, and she's so young. So this new generation is coming in much more informed, much more aware, and I think that will make them more productive and more effective. Got it. Well, well said. And thank you. I will, on that note, adjourn. Again, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation, and it's nice to um, talk through the past with somebody who's been there too. It's yeah. been a lot of change. And that concludes part three of the three-part Ellen Powell episode of the Series B show. Hope you enjoyed it. Definitely check and follow out what Ellen is doing through Project Include by going to projectinclude.org where you can learn more about how you can help or just generally learn more about uh, the work she's doing. And uh, stay tuned for future great shows upcoming on the Series B show. Always remember, be you, be true.